Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I remember where I was the first time that I told Lisa that I loved her. And I also remember where I was the first time that I hinted about getting married, to which she responded, maybe someday. (laughs) But but (laughs) you tend to remember big moment events in your life. And the reason I bring that up today is because in this passage, it's a big moment event. This is the first time that we see the disciples make this statement of faith that you are the Son of God. I'm not saying that they didn't trust in him before, that they didn't didn't believe him, but I think that their understanding of who he was grew as they were with him. And it's really at this point that we see them make the first solid statement that you are the Son of God. As we look at that, what better place to have it happen is right after Jesus walked on the water. I think it wasn't just his walking on the water and probably wasn't just his calming the sea when he got to the boat either. But I think it was probably an accumulation of things. They'd already been on a boat when he calmed the sea before. Didn't necessarily make that statement. They were just fearful and saying, what kind of a man is this? This time when the sea is calm, after he walks on the water. They don't ask who, what kind of a man is this. They say, you are the Son of God. They're confirmed this time. But as we look at it, I think it was probably a lot of the miracles building up to this point. We just got done seeing them feed the 5,000 and then this walking on the water. So maybe it was an accumulation of the miracles. And this one was just the icing on the cake or the capstone of the miracles that brought these disciples to this position. It's still, if you think about it, it's really still kind of the capstone today. A statement comes to mind when somebody is maybe having their whistle blown a little too much or something, you know, and then somebody also sometimes make the comment, yeah, and you should see them walk on water. Or, you know, I've heard that, that statement, walk on water. Why is it that that statement comes out often in those kinds of circumstances? Because walking on water, you can't just do that. Walking on water was a sign of his deity. It was a sign that he's God, that he's the Son of God. He's Emmanuel, God with us. It's a sign of who he was, just like all the other miracles were a sign of who he was. And so when people bring up that phrase about walking on water, it's in recognition of the fact that only God can walk on water. And so just as it was a capstone for the disciples, it was the one that finally put them over the top and said, you know what, this is the Son of God. It obviously is still that today. People still recognize this idea of being able to walk on the water is a proof of divinity. Well, that's what we're looking at today, is that you should see him walk on water. Now, as we go through this passage, there's kind of four different elements, all of them having to do with faith that I'd like to look at. The first is I'd like to look at the situation, which is definitely a situation for faith as we look at the position these disciples are in. Let's kind of try to picture it a little bit in our minds, shall we? We recognize that Jesus just got done feeding the 5,000 with uh, the little boy's lunch. And then afterwards, the disciples each took a basket and went out and collected the fragments. And there were 12 baskets full left over of food from that miracle. 
It was an amazing feat. The Gospel of John tells us something else about that event, and that is, in chapter 6, it says, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So what we see is, at the end of the feeding of the 5,000, the crowd... Uh, this enormous crowd of people is determined to make Jesus the king. And they want to take him by force and make him king. It's not his time and neither do they have the authority to actually accomplish that task. But Jesus skirts it. But the disciples, it says, Jesus then took the disciples and made them get on a boat. Now the language kind of insinuates that they didn't necessarily want to get on the boat. They didn't necessarily want to go somewhere else. And you can probably understand why. Now think about what we know about the disciples. Up to this point in the book of Matthew, we've seen Jesus teach the disciples to pray. And what does he teach them to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus taught them to pray. And part of what they were supposed to be praying for is God's kingdom to come. Jesus also had taken the disciples and divided them up into groups or twos and sent them out into the neighboring cities and villages. And as they went, they were supposed to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. So he's got his disciples praying that God's kingdom would come, preaching that God's kingdom is here and that the children of Israel needed to receive it. And so now when Jesus does this miracle and all the maybe 20, 25,000 people are excited about him and want him to be king, this looks like the moment. Even after this, we see the disciples getting in discussions. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom next to Jesus? Who's going to get to sit on his left and who's going to get to sit on his right? Lord, are you at this time going to set up the kingdom, even when Jesus is about to ascend up into heaven in Acts chapter 1? So the disciples are so kingdom-minded that that's what's on their mind. And so when this huge group is ready to take Jesus by force and make him the kingdom. Well, if you're one of those disciples, this looks like the political moment. This looks like the time when, wow, we've got momentum is going our way. This is the time to do it. This is the time for the kingdom. And what happens? It says that Jesus made them get in the boat and leave and go to the other side. Now, I'm sure that they could have come up with several reasons why they wouldn't have wanted to, and they're not listed for us here. One of them would be the excitement of the moment. They don't want to miss out on this, and they want to see it grow from here, not disband but that's contrary to what jesus wants at the moment what the will of the father is another one is uh the winds are picking up the lake's going to be a little tumultuous it's in the evening so they're going to be out there rowing across the lake in the dark into the wind and so there's reasons maybe not to do it that way but the point is it says that jesus made them get in the boat and to start heading over toward the other side and so they do jesus goes up into the mountain he disperses the crowd and it says that he goes up onto the mountain to spend some time in prayer before god now where does that leave the disciples the disciples are rowing a boat they're rowing a boat across they can't use a sail but they found a fishing boat up in that region that was about two thousand years old and if the boat that the disciples are in were like this one it was a boat that had a sail but could also be rowed it was a boat that was about 26 and a half feet long so not a not a huge boat but the sea of galilee is kind of like a large lake but it does pick up with storms rather quickly and is very dangerous but the disciples are out there they can't use the sails because it says that they're rowing into the wind they're out there in the dark late at night I don't know exactly what time they got going, but I'm assuming it was a little bit late, probably even after dark, because it says when Jesus came to him, he came to him in the fourth watch of the night. Now, the military divided up the night into four different watches, and it started at 6 p.m. and ended at 6 a.m., and it was 
four three-hour time periods, which means that the time that the disciples were, or that Jesus came to the disciples out on the water had to be somewhere between three in the morning and six in the morning. And so you got the disciples. They've been out there in the dark, in the wind and the waves, rowing that boat into the wind of the waves all night long. It's between three and six o'clock in the morning, and they're out there just struggling having a hard time with it. Mark tells us that they're having a really hard time with, with rowing it. Uh, the Gospel of John also tells us that they've gone three to four miles. They've rowed this boat three to four miles into the wind like that. And all this time, where's Jesus? He's up on top of the mountain praying. And he knows exactly where they're at. And he knows exactly what they're going through. In fact, the Bible even says it must have been in some supernatural ways. But it says that from the mountain, Jesus could see them in their struggle. And then he comes out walking on the water. And Mark points out that it appeared that Jesus was going to walk on by. So they were going to actually row all the way there. Depending on where they were crossing, it would have been, uh, some commentators said, four to five miles. Well, they've already rowed three to four, so they're getting pretty close to the other shore uh, at this point now anyway. But Jesus comes out to them on the water. They look out and they see him, and they, and they think it's a ghost. It's the word, uh, it's uh, phantasma is a Greek word. It's a word that means, we get our word phantom from it, phantasm from it. And so it's an apparition. And Jesus settles their fears right away. He says, it's me, don't be afraid. So he settles them down. But the point I'd like to make is this. This is a situation, these are circumstances that they're in that are scary. It's the middle of the night. You're out on the water. You're rowing against the waves. It's between three and six o'clock in the morning. You've been at this all night. It's, it's a struggle. It is a definitely a situation for faith. Jesus knows right where they're at. He knows exactly what they're doing. He knows just how strong the struggle is, and he leaves them there. He's let them do that for the whole night there, the whole evening. They're struggling. With I, I, questions go through my mind. Question in my mind, couldn't you have calmed the sea before they left? rather than after you got there, right? But he didn't do it that way. I'm sure it wasn't because, oh man, I should have thought of that. It wasn't that kind of a deal for him. He didn't do it that way for a reason. In other words, the disciples in that boat, in the wind and the waves and scared and all the the above, all those things in the dark, in the middle of the night, were exactly where Jesus wanted them to be, doing exactly what Jesus wanted them to do. Now that's encouraging to me. Last week there was a day in my life where by about 10 o'clock, Three things had already fallen apart in my life. And uh, one of them was a transmission in my truck that was leaking fuel or fluid all over the floor of my garage. And, and then a couple more things happened right after that. And I told Lise, this happened and this happened and this happened. And she just looked at me and she says, wow, life is happening right before your very eyes. It was just the right thing to say because I was like, yeah, no kidding. This, this is part of life. This is what happens. Trucks break. Things happen in life. So, you know, you just you, you got to deal with them. And it was encouraging that, that that's what our life consists of consists of in a lot of times the disciples are out there rowing into the wind and the storm and the waves and having all this struggle jesus is back praying on the mountain probably praying for them part of the time and they're right where god wants them to be so you know what take encouragement like that if you ever feel like you're rowing against the wind you might be right where god wants you to be you might just be in a fine spot a lot of times when we're going through struggles and hardships we might be right where god wants us to be learning the lessons that he wants us to learn And that's what we see is Jesus has them in that situation, and it was for the building of their faith. Jesus walks out to them on the water, and they see him, and then when he gets to the boat, then he calms the storm, and everything's okay. And you know what? The disciples have, I'm sure, changed. They've grown in their understanding. In fact, it's the first time, like we said, that they make that statement, that you're the Son of God. They've grown through this experience. They've learned to trust him more because of this evening that they've had together out on that boat is definitely a situation for faith. 
at times like that, we can tend to question our faith. Question, man, if God has got my back, if God is really for me, then why am I going through this? Why am I having these struggles? It might be just because God has got your back that you're having that struggle. It might be just because He wants you to learn some things. He wants to strengthen. He wants to build you. The harder the obstacles in our life, the greater the opportunity for strengthening. And so God uses those struggles and those hardships in our life. It takes faith. Well, we're going to see some faith as we work our way through the passage. The first kind of faith that we see is Peter's faith. Peter, Jesus comes out to him on the water, and and they're they're afraid, they're terrified. <laughs> I kind of in picturing this in my mind a little bit. I don't have a clue what the disciples' faces look like or anything. I don't know who anybody looked like, but I just thought, boy, I would love to just be able to be there to watch. Except the problem is, if I was there, I wouldn't be watching. I would be screaming like a little girl like the rest of them were when they saw Jesus coming out there. And then immediately after he calms, says, it's me, don't be afraid. Peter says, well, if it's really you, then let me come out to you on the water. I would, I would love to see that. I can see all the other disciples going, what? <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> you know, probably there's probably the whole gamut. Some of the disciples that didn't even cross their mind to want to get out of that boat. And Peter's asking to get out there and walk across the water with Jesus. Others are probably going, man, why didn't I think of that? I could have been the one to walk on the water. I never think of those things till later. And, <laughs> you know, you probably got the whole spectrum of responses from the disciples. But I can just see when Peter says, all right, then let me come out there too. I can see 11 heads just whipping right toward Peter. <laughs> what did you say? You know, it's just, it's comical. It's comical. But, you know, Peter's taking a leap of faith. He's, he's trusting Christ. He's step, he's ready to step out. He's ready to jump out of the boat. I'm with you. Let me come out there. And you know what? Sometimes in our life, there's leaps of faith. You know, I think a, I think a big moment in, in my life, surrender to the idea of going into the ministry was a huge leap. That terrified me. And I thought, there's no way I'm making that leap until I know for sure God wants me to do it. And then when we were comfortable, or recognize that God wanted us to do it, then we made that step. When it was time to go to college, I'd never been in Minnesota, but that seemed to be the college that would be best for, for us. And, and so uh, packing up our bags in Washington State, and we sold everything we had, and we got on a Greyhound bus with, with uh, Lisa pregnant with Zach, and Tim and Dan were just little guys, and got on a bus and we went out there. And I remember my mom asking me questions about it. Well, where are you going to live? Where are you going to work? I don't know. I didn't have answers to any of those questions. And finally, I just told her, look, Mom, if I had all the answers, I wouldn't need any faith. It was kind of scary. And so, but you know what we did? We took that leap of faith. We sold everything we had. We got on the bus. We went. We had another decision when it came to moving up here. Moving up here was a big decision for us because this was more permanent. It wasn't it wasn't four years off at Bible college. It was It was going there with no end in sight. For us to move to northern Minnesota... And our family's all still back in Washington State. That's that's tough. That's that's a tough decision. And different leaps. Sometimes you, you, when you sense that God's leading you a certain place, certain direction, you got to take a leap. You got to take a step of faith. But you know, not, not all of our leaps are that big. Sometimes our leap is just reaching out to somebody else that we're in conflict with. Sometimes our sometimes our leap is reaching out to a, a friend or a neighbor or somebody at work or school with the gospel. Sometimes our, our leap is stretching our means, going outside of our means to be able to help somebody else in a tangible way. Or I remember when Lisa and I used to really struggle with giving when we were first married. We'd give faithfully for a little while, and then when a struggle would come up, like an electric bill or something like that, we'd quit giving and pay the electric bill and do different things. And 
Not that we were always totally responsible with our money, but you know what? I remember when that time when we were confronted with the truth of giving and tithing and stuff, and we just said, this is the right thing to do. We just need to do it. Let God take care of the other things. But that was a big leap. That was a big step for us to follow God in giving in that way. A big decision in our life. Well, many decisions in our life are take a leap of faith where you got to step out of your comfort zone, follow God in what he would have you to do or to be obedient to his word. Well, that's what Peter was doing. Peter was leaping. Peter was ready to jump out of the boat. So sometimes God likes to take us out of our comfort zone and say, do you trust me? I think this whole boat ride all night has been to get those disciples out of their comfort zone. Not all of our life is lived at those moments of leaps of faith. We can look back and see different highlights in our life where God led us to take a big step here or a big step there. But a lot of our life is lived not in that moment, not in that mountaintop experience. I remember it was a big, a big part of Christian growth for me when I came to the realization that the mountaintop experiences are fun, they're enjoyable, a little bit scary sometimes, crucial in our lives, but the majority of our life is lived in the valley of the daily grind. The majority of our life is lived in trudging out the fulfillment to the decisions that we make on the mountaintops. Every day is a mountaintop experience with God, but yet those mountaintop experiences set the course and directions in our life, and then we faithfully plod those out through the valleys. And that's what I see come up in this next part of this incident, is that Peter is able to make the leap of faith. He jumps out of the boat, but what he lacks is a sustaining faith. He gets out of the boat. He's ahead of the other disciples in that department. The other disciples, I'm sure, once Jesus said who it was, they were relieved, they were comforted by His presence. But Peter wanted to get right out of the boat and be right there with Him on the water. And so he, he's stepping ahead. But you know what he lacked? He lacked the kind of faith that sustains that same position. He got out on the water, and at first he's doing fine. He's headed to Jesus. But as he gets to Jesus, he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he sees the, the Bible tells us he sees the wind which we all know, how do we see wind? We see wind by the results of the wind. So in other words, he's seeing the waves. He's feeling the mist that's blowing off of those waves. And that can be scary. I remember one time out in the Straits of Juan de Fuca, and my brother-in-law and I were up there fishing one time. We were just a little 14-foot kicker boat with a 10-horse motor on it. And we went out there, oh, mile maybe. And all of a sudden, the wind picked up and the waves picked up. And you'd have to give that boat all the gas it had to get up the wave, and then you'd have to hurry up and let off so you didn't stick the nose of it into the next wave. And I'll tell you, the results of that wind on those waves was scary being out there. Well, that's what's happening to Peter. Peter is, is out there. He's walking on the water. He's excited. Look at me. I'm on the water. I'm headed to Jesus. Look at me. I'm on the water. Why am I on the water? <laughs> you know, the waves. He's seeing the waves coming up and the mist he's feeling and all that. And he gets his eyes off Jesus and onto his circumstances, which we all tend to do, don't we? You know, that's why in the Psalms, David so often finds himself in negative circumstances and then he shifts his focus onto God and then realizes God's so much bigger than his circumstances that he ends up worshiping at the end rather than whining about his circumstances at the beginning. Peter went through the opposite. Peter starts out in excitement, jumping out on the waves to go out and see Jesus. He's so excited about Jesus. He's looking at Jesus. Partway there, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he looks at the waves and he begins to sink. Peter had the faith to make the leap, but he didn't have the faith to sustain it. I've noticed in my life that the faith that it required to take the leap to sell everything and go to Bible college 
wasn't nearly as much faith as it required to sustain that for four years while you completed the task. The faith to begin something is not enough. We need to have the faith to sustain that and to be faithful in it. Otherwise, we're like, remember the parable Jesus talked about the sower and the seeds? Remember the seed that fell on the rocky places? It sprung up quickly, but it had no depth of soil to get rooted into. So it sprang up quickly and then it wilted and it faded. And that's not what we want to be. That's not the believer. But the last example that Jesus gave, the seed that fell into the good soil took root. And because it had good soil to get good roots down in the ground, it not only sprang up, but continued to grow and to flourish and to produce a crop. But that's what we need. That sustaining faith. It's not, it's not good just, it's not good enough just to get started. Just to, take the initial leap. we got to stick with it. Take strength. It's hard. It was hard for the disciples out in that boat all night long. It needs to be hard. If it's easy, we'll be weak. If it's hard, God will use that to strengthen us and strengthen our faith. Peter often had trouble with that. Peter's often the one that's quick to step out, but hard to stick with it. Now, I don't want to give Peter a bad shake. Peter's a great guy. And if you look at the overall course of his whole life, this absolutely is not true. Because Peter will end up in his life and his death being faithful to Christ. But we see snapshots of Peter's life. Like when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And in Matthew chapter 16 that's coming up, Peter's the one that steps forward and says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then just a couple verses later, Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) You're getting in my way. And so Peter steps out bold, but then has to be corrected and shoved aside. When we get up toward the crucifixion of Christ, Jesus says, tonight all of you are going to be offended at me and you're going to be scattered like the prophecy says. And Peter says to Jesus at that time, I won't won't be scattered. I will die with you. And Jesus tells him before the rooster crows twice, you will have denied me three times. A little bit later in the Garden of Gethsemane, the people come to arrest Jesus. And there's a servant of a high priest there. And Peter will draw his sword and cut that guy's ear off. He's ready to fight. But Jesus will rebuke Peter and Peter is ready to run. Peter's courageous in that he will go and he will get as close as he can to the hearing of Christ when Christ is on trial. He's right outside warming himself by the fire. But he will deny Christ three times that night, twice to a little girl. And so there's there's different times in Peter's life where he's quick to make the leap of faith, but struggled in that sustaining faith. Now again, overall, he lived for Christ. He died for Christ. He had his trip-ups along the way like all of us do. But he's a man of God. You know what? It's important in our life that we have that sustaining faith. It's not all about the mountaintop, high, exciting experiences. What about when it's not so high? What about when it's you're pulling on those roars into the wind? You're in that struggle. You're in those negative circumstances. It's about fulfilling your faith even in those situations. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is telling them about the cost of discipleship. He says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build but was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What is the point that he's making? He's looking at people that are drawn to him, considering being Jesus' disciple. Jesus often did that. He'd have people that were drawn because of the miracles come for the show, but then he'd come up with these hard sayings and say, you know what it is to be my disciple? This is what it is. I'm first 
And he does that with these people. And he says, look, if you're thinking about making a leap of faith here, you're thinking about inviting me into your life. Do you have the sustaining faith? You better think about this. This is a big decision in your life. Sometimes people would come to Jesus and say, uh, you know what, I'll be your disciple. I'll follow you wherever you go. That's about the time that we would usually say, hey, great, let's kneel down and say a prayer. Jesus would say, will you really? You know what, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but I don't have any place I'm laying my head tonight. In other words, if you're going with me, we're sleeping alongside the road and you're laying your head on a rock. You still in? He would call them to count the cost. Because it's not just about the moment exciting. Woo! It's about the daily. It's about real faith. Being faithful. That's what faith does. The hard times as well as the great times. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, the struggles and the hardships in our life are important because they test our faith and they build our faith. We need that sustaining faith. Lastly, we see a statement of faith. And that's when it brings us to the point where the disciples make that statement. You're the son of God. He's the Christ. They're, they are convinced. They are sure they're making that leap of faith. They're, they're counting on having a sustaining faith. They are making that decision. You are the son of God. And it's from here on out, it's going to be tested even more severely. From here on out, as Jesus faces more and more opposition. But, thankfully, at this point is also when Jesus retreats with his disciples up into the area of Tyre and Sidon, more rural area, to kind of focus on giving them training, laying the groundwork with them, making sure they're solid, ready to be the foundation of the church. So they'll get those both those things. But you know what? A statement of faith is an important thing. All throughout Christianity, Christianity is a creedal religion. Our creeds and confessions mean everything. They define and they outline what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. From the days of the early church, you find them making different creeds, statements of faith about what they believe. And you know what? That's always what we look to. When we look at other churches that we participate in things with, we look at their statement of faith. What are you about? What do you believe? When we look at taking on missionaries, I was in correspondence with a missionary and his family recently, and I asked for things. I said, you know what, I, need, I want you to send me just your testimony, your story. Send me a mission statement, what you plan on doing while you're there, and how you're going to do it. But most importantly, send me that doctrinal statement. I want to know what you believe. I want to know where you stand on things. Statement of faith is very important, and that's exactly what the disciples were making. It's not a big detailed thing like what I'm talking about there. But they're saying, you know what, we know this about you. You are the Son of God. They make that statement of faith. And so, as we look at the disciples, and we see them come to that last point, what do they do? They worship Jesus Christ. They worship Him because they know who He is. They know He's the Son of God, that He is God in the flesh. Because of that, they can make that leap of faith. They will have that sustaining faith that will bring them through trials, even to where they pay with their own lives for their faith. So as God leads them through the situation of faith, they're able to take the leap of faith, have the sustaining faith, and in the conclusion, make a statement of faith. It's the same in our lives. God allows us, even leads us, into situations that are situations where faith is required. It is in those circumstances, in those times, where we've got to make decisions. Are we going to leap 
Are we going to, are we going to sit back? Are we going to trust? Are we going to step out? Or are we going to stay in the boat? But leaping's not enough. We got to count the cost. We got to make sure we have that sustaining faith. Or we walk with God day in and day out. You know, the circumstances are, are good. Circumstances seem negative. Whether life is smooth sailing, whether it's on the calm of the sea or in the waves, we got to have that sustaining faith. Otherwise, our statement of faith is just words. 